Hi, this is Nancy Yearalt, and this is Nancy Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And all the way from Colorado, we have Sue Schneider here. And welcome to the show, Sue. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. We're going to talk about mindfulness. And a lot of people are, you know, think they know what mindfulness is, but she's going to kind of hip us to what the situation is. And we're going to hear her story. She is a medical anthropologist. She is an integrative health coach, and she is a certified mindfulness instructor. So we're blessed to have her here. She's been teaching mindfulness meditation now to students of all ages in university and community settings for over a decade. And she currently leads community health and wellness initiatives as an extensive professor and state health specialist at Colorado State University and has an in integrated health coaching practice in Fort Collins, Colorado, where she lives with her husband, her son, and her two dogs. And you guys, her website, just so y'all have it, is meetingthemoment.org. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about kindness. We're going to talk about mindfulness. Before we get going, I have to bring up Israel. Uh, today is Friday the 13th. And uh, this is what the headline reads. Uh, it just basically is talking about Gaza and Jerusalem. So Israel's uh, military has warned that there's 1.1 million people living in northern Gaza. They want them to evacuate their homes because Israel is going to ramp up its retaliatory offensive against Hamas and following the group's October 7th terror attacks. Now, this just goes on, but I want to send prayers to Israel and I want to send prayers to all the people. You know, some of the stuff that you watch online is just frightening and horrible. And so I stand with Israel and I just want to send prayer to them. And across the United States, you know, there's a lot of kids, I think, that are confused at some of these colleges and they're, they're not understanding about what this conflict is really about. And this is biblical. I just, you know, this is biblical prophecy and it's actually being fulfilled right now. So pull out your Bibles, guys. And check it out. It's kind of crazy. Do you want to say anything, Sue, about the conflict that's happening? You're in a college. So what's that like for you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm in a college. I'm in a, a, a community here. And I'm a part of our global citizenship. And this is heartbreaking. Uh, we have a humanitarian crisis. There's a long history of conflict. It's an opportunity for us to maybe understand a little bit about the history, but uh, I think we just need to send heartfelt wishes out uh, to everyone involved. It's it's a painful thing to have to have to watch. It really is. And this is time where we really do need this. We truly need this. So um, let's just get started here. I would like to know, tell us your story. What inspired you to write this book? Oh, boy. A lifetime of curiosity, probably. Um, I um, have always been a seeker. I've always uh, wanted to understand what lies beyond what we can actually see. Mm -hmm. And I'd always been looking for an avenue to cultivate uh, deeper awareness uh, through through myself, through a practice. And um, I was lucky to have uh, come across uh, mindfulness and meditation and teachings over really the last 20 years. But, um, there was definitely a moment in, in my life that opened the door for me to really get the training and feel what it felt like to, um, calm the mind, 
connect with the heart, like in a real way. And that was, I was actually a budding anthropologist. I was doing my uh, research in Mexico. My husband and I were living there for a year. I know I read this. Tell a story. You're in Mexico. You're in a little town in Mexico. This is crazy. What about Mexico? I know. Yeah. And, and the irony of this is, and I was looking at, you know, the globalization of healing practices and how they were flowing into Mexico and other countries, of course. But, um, you know, I was living there. I was really in a, in an anxious time of my life. It was tough. It was tough to have this big challenge in front of me to be doing my research, to want to succeed, to want to do something good, you know, for the people I was working with, these health promoters, um, in Mexico. And so I was just, I was kind of really in an anxious place during that time. And um, one of the women that I was working with ended up bringing, found, ran into an American in Mexico City who was offering um, mindfulness meditation retreats in Mexico. And she came to this community and she offered a week-long retreat. And I really gave myself the chance to settle into it and experience what it was like to slow down and to observe all of this anxiety, all of the things that were happening in me. Um, I took that week and um, I walked away from that with a completely different perspective on what is possible. I think a lot of people have ideas about what mindfulness is, what meditation is. They may not get access to instruction and they may not get access to, you know, a space and a time in their lives where they can really settle in and feel what it is actually like in their bodies um, to open up space. I was fortunate to have had that kind of haphazardly and I took full advantage of that. You know, I just continued to study. I continued to be part of meditation groups. I continued to learn and eventually began teaching it. And um, but this book actually came about, I mean, that was my experience of understanding in a really deep, profound way of how important it is to find the right tools and techniques to manage our lives and find um, deeper connection with ourselves and and the the larger world. Um, But one of the programs that I developed here at Colorado State University um, is called Living Mindfully. It was an online program. I developed it in like 2017. There was a point where I was asked to redesign the course for a different kind of platform. And I had to write through the seven modules and all of the practices. And I thought when I got through that process, I was like, oh boy, here we have, this is it. I, I need to for this book. Yeah. I, it right. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. I it was much it. more complicated after that, you know, initial writing stage. Um, and it took on a life of its own and it offers some things that I, um, you know, was really in my heart that I really wanted to offer that was beyond that course. Um, but it finally came out. So here it is. I think it's awesome. You know, it's really interesting. I read your story and, you know, you didn't really want to take the course in Mexico because it was a week long deal and you were like real hesitant. I am kind of a type A personality and I felt like, oh no, I can't, you know, I can't step out of my busy work and research to do this for a week. I I actually think that is such a barrier for so many people. And I teach this all the time and it's like, people are asking, where are starting points? How do I even get started? Because Mm -hmm. our brains are so hardwired to just go and to keep going and to not actually stop and pay attention to what's happening. And so, yeah, that's the most important point is that starting point, right? Training ourselves. Well, yeah, it's slowing down. And I can relate because I'm a type A and I was in the real estate industry for many years and I just didn't slow down. My mind went and went and went and went. 
And it wasn't until, and you talk about this in the book too, and a lot of people have this, when you have something really big happen in your life, it like forces you to stop and slow down, you know, because and when we do, you say we wake up to our true nature, our goodness, our compassion, our caring, and our relatedness. And it's true. It's so true, right? It's 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 tough that sometimes it takes turmoil in our lives um, to actually stop and pay attention. Um, you hear this a lot from people suffering from illness, from people experiencing loved ones dying, um, from people going through really hard times. Um, but it does really... In it, it makes us slow down. Um, and my real goal is that we don't want to wait for those things to happen. We don't want to wait for those difficulties to happen. And I don't think in our culture, we're talking enough about everyday techniques that we need to implement every single day. Every How do we bring mindfulness into our everyday lives um, to make sure we're not missing out on the moments that we have while we're vibrant and you know whole yeah. and full of life? Yeah, you say learning to pay attention to everyday moments. And that's true. When you do slow down, you do stop and smell the roses and smell the coffee or however you want to put it. You know, I found it really interesting because you you did this and you knew about it. Your husband is into the mindfulness. He teaches it too, which I think is so cool. Yeah. But I yeah. thought it was interesting because when you had your son, and I think there's a lot of women and men who can relate to this, you were doing it. You stopped because life got in the way. And I want you to talk about that because that happens to a lot of people. They have children, they've got so much going on, and they don't take care of themselves. And you were just, it. you went back. So tell that part of the story if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, honestly, that was the biggest gap in my life of practicing mindfulness. It was um, the hardest time in my life where I was trying to juggle being a working mom and doing something that, you know, we don't have a playbook to do. How do you raise an infant? How do you even know how to manage uh, all of the responsibilities and and do the the caring work and, you know, be a partner at the same time and, and clean the job. house, get the groceries. Clean the, oh, <laughs> even the most basic fundamental things, right? Yeah. yeah, I was thrown off. I don't, I'm assuming other <laughs> women are thrown off at that well, moment. Yeah. Um, and that was a period of time where I let everything fall apart. And and I share this in my book, the, the outcome of my kind of intense fight or flight, just chronic ongoing, you know, intensity around doing was that I hit a point where I had severe insomnia. And, you know, I was going all day long, but, you know, at night I was lying awake, highly anxious, trying to figure out what was wrong, what was going on. Mm -hmm. And um, it really actually took that. It wasn't just the transition into motherhood, but then it was like, I don't think I can hack this. I don't think I can take care of myself and the things I need to take care of. And it really put me in a position where I had no choice but to look at my anxiety, look at my fear, look at, you know, the patterns that I was reenacting that I think I always had, but it was just so much more intense as I was managing so many different things. And um, I really went on a deeper journey. I mean, I had these tools, I let them go for a while. Mm -hmm. But I went on a deeper journey that really brought the tools back, but in a more fundamental way. And I bring up this word a lot in the book, the word is acceptance. And part of where I feel like I got caught was just struggling against what um, 
what was happening. I was not willing to acknowledge I can't, I can't handle all this right now. I need some help. And there was a point where I had to say, you know, I have to accept where I am. I have to accept some help. Um, And I have to accept that I have to take care of myself in a different kind of way. And mindfulness, you know, one of the big misconceptions is it's all meditation. You know, we sit, we clear our mind, this is absolutely incorrect. This is not what we're doing. We're actually leaning in to all of these challenges, right? Um, But uh, for me, in that moment, um, it was the attitudes of mindfulness, it was the reminders of acceptance, and that I didn't have to work so hard, and that I could trust trust that my body would heal, trust that I could be a good mom, trust that I could um, succeed in this or um, bring into the world what I needed to bring uh, despite the challenges. So I I talk a lot about acceptance in there. Yeah, you talk about trust, you talk about patience, and you do talk about acceptance, you know, and, and you also say we can learn to see the world with unbiased eyes. And I'll be honest, I can speak for myself on this one. When you connect, and I say connect with the divine because I'm a religious kind of girl, and I take those few minutes, I tell everybody, it takes as long as it takes to brush your teeth, to sit down, quiet your mind, connect, connect with Mother Earth, bring in that light, it changes you. And when you do that, and I'm such a big advocate of connecting, because we're energetic souls, and we're supposed to connect, right? We are. And I, I really appreciate what you said, because um, this concept of connection, it's so broad, and it can encompass any faith that we have, and it encompasses yeah. any belief that we have. Right. If it's as simple as, as grounding and putting our feet on the floor and feeling that connection with the earth, if it's connecting through prayer, you know, connecting with that higher divine power, if it's simply connecting within to our breath. And this is the thing we have this like other misconception that that mindfulness only is for certain kinds of people who have certain kinds of beliefs. But mindfulness brings us to a deeper level of connection. And, and it can start within it literally can start with the breath, it can start with feeling our the soles of our feet on the earth and feeling supported and loved. These are things that we are not always really um, aware of or willing to accept yeah i think you know and during the COVID, a lot of people were made to sit still and it was a blessing in my mind because people had to learn to be at home and a lot of people went within a lot of people changed their habits a lot of people changed their careers i mean it was a huge and so to me i look at that time i know it was a, a lot of people perished but i also think it was a time for people to quiet the mind you know it's because we go we're on we're always on we're always on we're always on and i don't know i just feel like whether you do it in the morning i think it's great in the morning personally because when you do it in the morning you know connect and just take a few minutes it changes your whole day it absolutely can it it can and i want to say something about that actually because Mm -hmm. i am not someone who's been able to do my practice in the morning because uh, yeah because i am conditioned to get going and my mind goes to what what needs to happen and it's also choice right and scheduling and all of that but i want to make this point that um it's it doesn't matter what matters is that we can find a time that we can actually stick to. So for me, and literally for 20 years, I have been practicing at night before I go to bed. And 
This is regardless of whether I'm traveling for work and I'm somewhere else or I'm on vacation or the blank has hit the fan and I know there's a lot going on. It does not matter because I have made this commit to, commitment to myself and I have truly wired my brain so that it's not comfortable comfortable for me to lie in bed, go to bed unless I have sat and done my 20 minutes of practice. And so I say that because um, people really struggle with getting started and they struggle with, I don't have time. I don't have time, right? right? And the obvious thing is, well, lie in bed, put your hand on your heart, take a few deep breaths, connect, right? Like that. And yeah. yet that doesn't work for everyone. And we absolutely have to find that space um, that works for us. And we do have to stick with it. I know what you're talking about because I do connect in the morning, but I've been laying in bed late at night and thinking about my mind races. I'm a type A like, oh, well, I got to do this tomorrow. And what about that? And what do you think about this? And, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to do a little bit at in the evening, too. I love how you brought your son into this book. Uh, you talk about your son, Aiden, throughout the book. I think it's really awesome. He was, I think, 11. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. When he yeah. started to recognize that your husband and yourself did this mindfulness uh, yes. ritual, I'll call it a ritual. And he says, I think you guys meditate to reach peace in your body out of the mouths of babes, right? I know. <laughs> I know. I love his reflections. And, you know, it, it, it really showed an awareness that he understood we were we were juggling, you know, and we were doing our best. And he understood that we just um, intentionally gave ourselves a break. Yeah. Um, it, you know, what he could not understand at the time uh, is that um, sitting and practicing mindfulness didn't always bring us peace. <laughs> you know, it brought us face to face with our demons, our struggles, our you know busy minds. Um, and we actually have Aiden enrolled in a research study at Colorado State. He just started his first session yesterday. It's about um, teens and mindfulness and stress. Wow. And so they're yeah they're exploring. Um, they're going to be doing surveys throughout this whole thing with parents and kids, and looking at if this program, this mindfulness program, can impact stress. And we're really curious because you know now he's thirteen. I was going to ask you how old he is now. Yeah, yeah, okay. he's hit a different phase in his life, and and he's actually for the first time in his life acknowledging that he has stress. And that is it, it's it's tough to hear that because we know that's true, but it's also really important starting point, I think, for kids mm -hmm. to be able to acknowledge, okay, if there is stress, A, then B, there might be some tools and supports if they are willing to accept them. And so we as parents kind of, I think we we have a lot to learn about how to support that. And all through his upbringing, I mean, the biggest lesson as a parent that I think we learned through our mindfulness practice was we, we role model it. You know, we role yeah. model taking a deep breath. We role model saying when we came home from a busy day, you know what, Aiden, I'm going to go upstairs for five minutes and just ground myself. And yeah. we role model how to do that. Right. Um, but, but, you know, getting him to practice, quote unquote, totally different story. That's a hard thing to do. But I think um, up to this point, at least now that he's a teenager, it's been the role modeling and like really demonstrating. And in fact, he We've always had a pre-dinner ritual practice. And um, about a year ago, he actually suggested we switch it and we take three deep breaths before we start eating. And so that was his. And we do that every single night before dinner. Nice.
Well, I agree with you, but I think we should start children when they're little. I think we should teach this in school. I think mindfulness, I think learning to quiet the mind, I, you can call it whatever you want, but I think if we could get this into the school systems when children are very little, very young, and teach them how to connect. Yes. No matter what kind of religion you are, like you said, you know, yep. teach them how to connect because we are energetic souls and there is that love energy that's up there. And, you know, a lot of kids have trouble at school and they have trouble at home. But that love that comes in, not to get too out there, but I want people to realize this. When you bring that love energy in every day, it fills you up and you don't look for outside things to make you happy. And if we could teach our children that if they were having trouble at home, because, you know, no parent is, is perfect. There is no instruction book. And so and life happens, but it would help them grow into adults who could calm down. And maybe we wouldn't have the unrest that we have in yes. our world today. You know what I mean? Oh, Nancy, I could not agree with you more. I mean, it is so much about connecting with yeah. that self-love. And mm -hmm. I mean, this is really one of the main points I really hope to get across in this book is we overlook this concept of self-compassion. We do. We overlook it. It's so easy to overlook it. And for kids, especially, they are always looking for those external, like, uh, you know, rewards those external supports and um to start early and be able to help people understand you can cultivate you can access whether it's from above whether it's from below wherever it's from yeah. within right you can access care for yourself and that makes all the difference it really it changes you i know it's changed me because i was yeah. type a and just went and went and went and raised kids and had to make money and La 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 la. And until I slow down, and it always takes something major to make you slow down and stop. Yeah. And you do talk about working on yourself in this book, where each of us have to work on ourselves individually in order to heal ourselves. Nobody's going to do it for us. No, I think a lot of people us. look for, you know, they do drugs, they do alcohol, prescription drugs, they think another person is going to make them happy. It really boils down to, like you said, the self-love and working on your inner self. And we all have those demons that we have to work through. We really do. Absolutely. And it's, it. I mean, you know, honestly, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to decide, you know, I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to bring awareness to the discomfort, to the pain, even to the trauma, to whatever extent we can. And yeah, you don't want to think that. about it. You want to put it in the back of your head and just forget that happened. Right. But and this is, it, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, I mean, this is a practice that's about turning towards. And I think there's something that is um, frightening about that. Mm -hmm. um, but there is no shortcut to it. And, um, you know, I think in our society, we think, oh, I'll just meditate away the problems, right? And we can't do that. There's, we can't get anywhere until we go through whatever it is we need to go through. Um, right. So that requires commitment. Um, but the, what comes out on the other side of that can be so much uh, joy. Yeah. And so much self-love as we're talking about and connection. And through that process, 
really, it opens the door to connection to others. And it opens the door to um, a real deeper understanding of yeah. what what's really around us. Yeah. I mean, you talk about breathing techniques in the book. You talk about redirecting our negativity. And that's what we're talking about right now. But, you know, when you're good, then you can go yeah. out into the world and connect with other people and have that love vibration and have that high vibration. And you do have more compassion. You just do. Instead of yes. being judgmental, instead of being judgmental, all of a sudden you're compassionate. Right, right. And and I'm going to actually read this quote from Yangi Minger Rinpoche. He he writes, until we transform ourselves, we are like mobs of angry people screaming for peace. In order to move the world, we must be able to stand still in it. Yeah. And that's what's going on right now. There we are. Right now. Here yeah. we are. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. You know, yeah. and we all have to, and I love you, you. I wrote down so many little things from your book. You say we <laughs> all have to force change at one point or another. And it's true. We yeah. have to do this. We have to do it for ourselves. Nobody's going to fix us. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to, and, you know, I don't want to give anybody a bad rap here, but we think, oh, if we go to a counselor or if we go to a, uh, you know, if we take that pill or if we just meet the right person or, you know, if I just had a lot of money or if I just had the perfect job, but it's not about any of that. No. Because when you become um, connected, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the yeah. connection, uh, you know, grounding, like we're talking about grounding down to Mother Earth, bringing up that light, bringing in that light, it changes you. And then your whole energy changes and all those things that you wanted just kind of flow to you. Yeah, yeah, they they do come to you for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think what you're talking about is is our dependency, you know, our cultural dependency on quick fixes and, oh, yeah. um, you know, outside, um, you know, whatever resources to fix us. And I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of therapy as an adjunct to doing our practice and doing our work or whatever types of modalities we need to support our nervous system or, you know, physiology, whatever it is that we need. And at the same time to recognize that there is so much that we actually have control of that we do not recognize. Mm -hmm. There's a statistic that I think it's 75 to 90% of physician visits are stress related. Mm -hmm. It's a very high percentage. And we have all of these symptoms that of course come up from our lifestyle, mm -hmm. from our um, you know, sympathetic nervous system. And we confront illness regularly. And so we're seeking some kind of care for it. And while medicine can certainly be helpful on certain levels, I think what we need to understand is we need to go back and we need to peel back the onion and kind of figure out what it is that's at the source of that. Are there circumstances in our lives that we need to take a look at? Um, are there, you know, belief systems, ways that we're operating uh, yeah. that we need to work on as well? And so um, for me, this concept of mindfulness and being able to bring awareness as a first step to what's going on is incredibly empowering. And it's the antidote really to this dependency and this expectation that somehow there's an external fix when a lot of the time we need to step back and we just, we need to bring awareness. And the other piece of it is 
we are not listening to our bodies. Right. You know, we don't take the time to right. listen to the signs and symptoms or listen to the emotions that are actually at the root of some of these health challenges. Um, and that listening can only happen when we are quiet and connected. No, that's true. Well, I really believe that any dis-ease in the body comes from an energetic block and it comes from something you haven't worked through. And that's because the body is trying to get your attention. And if we could just get to that point where everybody understood that, right? Because right. You, can, no. you can heal yourself. We are built to heal ourselves. And so if I have something that now I know, so I've talked to so many people and I figured this stuff out like you have. And when I have something that's wrong, I'm like, well, well, what does that mean? And I go back to like Louise Hayes book and open up how to heal your life. And okay, so if my right arm hurts, what does that mean? <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> and it's all connected. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, this just brings up a tenet in mindfulness, how powerful our minds are. Mm -hmm. So our minds, I mean, our minds can be incredibly destructive. Look right. at, look at what we're doing. Look at what we've done. Right. But our minds can be incredibly healing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, but we can't figure out which side we're on. We are secreting these thoughts constantly. But if we are not bringing awareness to what it exactly it is that we're secreting, and, you know, this goes back to the negativity bias, because we're like inherently pulled into the stream of negativity. We've been that way all of our evolutionary history. We, it's a very self-protective and adaptive mechanism. But if we are not aware that we just naturally go towards the negative, um, imagine, imagine the difference if we can actually retrain our brains, yeah. moving them towards the positive so we can secrete uh, things that are life giving and, you know, we can secrete gratitude and um, right. love and connection out there. Right. So are you into affirmations? I'm really big into affirmations. Yeah. Spoken word. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and because when you start uh, fake it till you make it, guys. So hey, yeah, if you say, you know, an affirmation every, I say all different affirmations and they change as my life changes, but it's training, it's retraining your brain. Um, things that we have stuck, you know, we're like little computers. We have this program that's stuck in our head and, you know, you have to reprogram yourself from some of the things that have happened in your life. I see people say things and it just, and then you start to recognize that people are doing this to themselves and you just want to say, Hey, wait a minute, wake up. You don't have to speak patterns. that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like recognize the patterns. Right. Um, but you know, bringing up affirmations, it's also, it's also somatic. I mean, there's power in our bodies. So if we um, open up to the experience of what we want, what we what we really want, what we hope for, you know, the positive, literally feeling the positive in our body. And Rick Hansen does a lot of great work on this. Um, and he has this protocol, uh, an acronym called HEAL that really helps you kind of notice a good thing and um, really let it sink into your body. You savor it, you feel it in your body. Mm -hmm. And you can even pair it up with kind of a negative experience or emotion and it neutralizes it um there are a lot there's a lot of research out there about how yes. we can somatically also work um with kind of reshaping and this does reshape our brains toward the positive 
Mm-hmm. You know, I had a guy on my show and uh, you guys can go back and, and watch it. He was all about sound. And what he mm-hmm. said, what, and I know sound heals and I, cause it's vibration. So if you have something, you know, you can get a certain sound that tone or that vibration can heal that ailment. But what he said, and I've known this for a long time too, is that the tuning forks and like crystal bowls and things like that have been a, they've been able to heal cancer with these tools because they're changing the vibration of your body of your chakras. But what he said uh, to me really blew my mind. He said they have found, and I didn't know this, that your voice, your own voice is, has been proven to be the most healing tool we have. Oh, wow. Because, and they've proven this in cancer patients, that if they use their own voice, instead of this, they'll still use the crystal bowls and the tuning forks to heal the cancer, but the voice, your own voice, because it's the power of that vibration of your own voice that can heal you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. That is amazing. I know. Um, and, and that I, to me, yes. yeah, it just said so much. It was like, yeah, yeah. it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, it just goes back to the same point about what wisdom do we have stored in our body that we are just not tapping into. Exactly. That's, you know, anyway, that was just kind of blew my mind because, you know, we have the power to heal ourselves and it's just, uh, we're finally getting there. You know, we have not learned all of this stuff. They knew a lot of this stuff over in China and, you know, a lot of, and it's finally gotten over here and people are starting to, you know, get hip to this kind of stuff. And I think it's great. Well, that explains exactly why I became a medical anthropologist because I was, I was really curious about how we do health and healing in other societies. I mean, it's just so obvious we are not getting it here in the United States. And there are thousands of years of practices that are carried on in, in other societies. And, um, and so many societies heal by connection. So many societies, you know, heal in community. And this is something that we've absolutely lost track of as well. And there is a a really good reason why meditation, mindfulness meditation practitioners practice together. They're called sanghas. They're groups. They're all over the world. But we practice together because we can harmonize. We can, there's limbic resonance, right? And as we kind of energetically work on, you know, whatever is inside of us, we can support each other through that energy. Um, and we don't do this stuff alone. We sit, even if it's in silence, we sit alone and we practice. I'm sorry. We sit together. We practice together. Right. You tell a story. If you wouldn't mind telling the story, I think there was a woman who was just, her son had died. And it was the anniversary of her son. Would you mind telling that? Is that okay? Yeah, actually, this is a teaching story. It's based in India, and it's this—it's called the mustard seed. Um, and it's about a woman who lost her child, very, very young, an infant, and she was grieving and mourning. And a sage in her, you know, of course, why? Why me? Right? Why? Why mm-hmm. am I losing this precious child? And and the sage in the community said, you know what? Uh, maybe it would be helpful if you went around and you knocked on your neighbor's door doors and you asked if anyone has a mustard seed and if you can find a mustard seed um, then perhaps you'll understand that um, 
anyone who has a mustard seed has actually also gone through a major loss. So she knocks on a door, you know, do, do you have a mustard seed? Ah, yes. Let me go get it for you. Here you go. Knocks on a door. Do you have a mustard seed? Ah, yes. Here you go. Let me, let me get it for you. They had lost their grandparents. They had lost their parents. They had lost their children. They had lost relatives and friends in this, in this community. And so in this process, she went around and found out I am not alone. I am not the only one suffering. Um, suffering is universal. And this is this is really the moral of the story is we can get so lost in our individual grief and not recognize that, you know, loss and suffering is universal. And when we realize that we can even sense a common humanity, we all share, we all share certain things. We, unfortunately, we have to share loss and suffering, but um, it does help us recognize, you know, we are, we are tied together. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. yeah. Because it just shows that uh, we all need community. We need the caring and the yeah. connection. And you talk about yeah. that. You know, you also say, and I wanted to see if you would address this. You say native cultures have long understood the healing power of the holding space. A lot of people mm -hmm. say holding sp space, but people don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, revealing truths through collective ritual. Can you talk a little bit about what that means when you say you're holding space? Yeah, I mean, and I, we don't even have to just talk about Native American rituals. I mean, this is, you know, in Native American societies, of course, there's more um, formal rituals where people actually um, get in circles and have their fire, you know, fire circles and um, do their expressions of, um, of you know, connection or of healing, whatever it is in that space. Um, but even in our culture, there are plenty of opportunities where we can, you know, metaphorically hold space for each other, which means we gather, we give our undivided attention, you know, we open our hearts, we give people the space to share what it is that is hurting. Um, and and I'm part of a, a number of women's groups. And, you know, there are, we have to be very intentional about how we do this because it's really easy, especially for women to offer advice, to want to fix it, to want to make someone feel better. But yeah. there really is um, a way of doing this that can be healing where we don't have to fix. We don't even offer women Kleenexes in, in one of the groups I'm in because that suggests that a woman needs to go wipe wipe off the tears, go fix it, go make herself look better. And wow. we don't want that expectation out there. What we want is time for someone to share what is in their heart, to share the pain and to be there and hold it. And holding, I think, in any kind of ritual, whether you use fire or water or, you know, Air. feathers or whatever Air. you yeah. know chanting yeah. whatever it is um right. it's it's a special sacred space that allows people to work through their own process but being held by others i love that i think it's wonderful how long has the book been out now when did it come out it came out on October 1st, actually, formally. It's been, it's been produced and finished for almost a year. Um, yeah. So it's, it's nice to, to have it see the light and get out there now. Yeah. Yeah. And have you, I'm, I'm sure you've had wonderful reviews from it already. Yeah. I think people appreciate the simplicity of it. Um, and, um, you know, just very simple practices and, um, really kind of uncovering what mindfulness can be for just 
us everyday people. We don't have to be special. We don't have to go sit and retreat for three months um, to have an impact of these, you know, ancient practices. We just have to find uh, a way to open just a little bit of space every single day, I believe. And also there's a mindset piece. You know, there are attitudes that we can bring into our lives, like what we're talking about, acceptance, um, beginner's mind, non-striving, patience, trust, all of these really important things. And it that doesn't take time. We can integrate um, that practice into our lives. And, you know, speaking of being a parent, you know, being a, a parent of a, a teenager, um, I bring mindfulness into my everyday moment, you know, and sometimes it's it's the self-compassion. I have to give myself self-compassion because it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to let go. It's hard to watch the moods, you know, mm-hmm. um, so being really aware of what I need in that moment, but also being aware of what I can offer, you know, really my authentic presence. And that really comes from from my practice and, and working through through all of this over the years. Yeah, I really have found personally that I have to force myself to balance, meaning that because I am type A like yourself, and you can probably relate to this, if I didn't, if I wasn't aware, if I wasn't mindful, I would just keep going. Keep going. But I knew now, which I used to do, right? And that's how you get burned out. But now it's like, oh, I need to stop and just relax now. It's time for yeah. it. so you have to have that balance. You can't just keep going, going, going and never, you know, quiet the mind or you just go nuts. And that's when people get frustrated. And yeah, I, I think. And, and the flip side of that, though, is when I um, let myself get out of balance, I let myself go, go, go. And then the judgment sets in. I know better than this. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. But mindfulness allows me to drop those judgments and say, you know what? I didn't do it exactly how I wanted to do it this time. And I get to try tomorrow. And so that dropping the judgment piece is also important because it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do in today's society. Um, well, yeah. we have to do away with judgment of ourselves and of others. And if we yeah. could do that, yeah. it would be huge. It'd be huge. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. You know, you've done this work for a long time. I'm just curious. I mean, are you amazed at the results that you see from the groups and from the people that you teach? And and talk about that a minute before we get out of here today. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is such a journey. It's such a journey. And, um, you know, the outcomes of this journey really equal the investment that we make. Um, But I do hear stories all the time of how um, people acted differently in situations than they would have, or they were able to um, not react so quickly, or they were able to see something with a completely different perspective. And for me, you know, it's the simple stories of just how we can decrease the suffering in our lives. Actually, that's kind of what it boils down to, because um, we struggle a lot. And, And the definition of suffering here is really wanting things to be different than they are. And so this practice, um, and as people do this and really get to know their minds and get to know their habits and behaviors, um, they're able to maybe not try to push things, you know, push something around thing through a square hole. No, that's <laughs> not it. A square thing through a round hole. They <laughs> may be able to um, let things just be as they are and just being able to decrease the suffering 
you know, that much mm-hmm. actually makes all the difference in our, in our complex lives. Yeah, I agree. I, I can speak for myself saying that once I started connecting every day and I still, I do it every day and I journal every day because I get my thoughts out. And I think that helps with the busy mind too. I now look at things from a different, a broader perspective. It's not so narrow. Now I look at it. Yeah. I look at things differently. And, and I think, you know, we, the compassion for other people, I think that's another thing. And I just want to bring that up really quickly is, you know, you start to be more compassionate, you're less judgmental, more compassionate. You put yourself in that person's space. And as you become, it's weird, as you become more still, you start to recognize all this stuff. Your awareness is just heightened. It just is. It is. And your heart has the capacity to open. And there are two wings of mindfulness. There's a reason why there are two wings of mindfulness. One is this awareness that we keep talking about, but the other wing is compassion. And so if you just are aware or bringing, you know, awareness to these moments or your feelings or thoughts, but you don't bring compassion to it, then it's just, it's devoid of potential there. And so making sure that um, we're always kind of looking at those two sides. And there are a lot of traditional practices, loving kindness practices um, that actually help to really work on that heart space, opening it up. We wish ourselves well, we wish our others well, we wish our, we, we use the word enemies well, or we wish those we well, yeah. like well, even right, because that softens the heart. We wish um, anyone, nameless, faceless people, we wish well the people we um, don't even know in grocery stores. And I mean, imagine if we were all to do these kinds of practices every day, um, just wishing well and starting with ourselves, of course, which sometimes can be the hardest thing to do. Right. But the power, the power of loving kindness practice. Yeah. yeah learning to wish your enemies well. Mm-hmm. That is, right? yeah, that is, no, that's, no, that's something I work on. And I, because what I, I have an affirmation, I think it's something like, you know, you take their power away um, when you do that, you know. People are always like, oh, they're shooting me negative energy. Well, if you feel that way, then bless them. Because when you bless them, you stop that energy and you change it to a love vibration, just like you were talking yeah. about. You know, you come from the heart instead of yeah. from the head. It's really interesting. Well, yeah. Meeting the Moment with Kindness, you guys, is the book. How can people find you, Sue? Um, so the website is meetingthemoment.org. And I have some, uh, actually, I've recorded some audio meditations for folks. Cool. There's some blog articles and some other stuff that's about to be posted. So yeah, I'm really glad you came on today to join us. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate this. It's been wonderful to talk with you. It's been wonderful to talk to you. You guys have called meeting the moment. How man, how mindfulness can help us find calm, stability and an open heart. Okay. So you guys, I'm going to be at the LA. I'm going to go to Los Angeles in February and I'm going to be at the Conscious uh, Life Expo and I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to do a 90 minute workshop. I'm so excited. And I'm going to teach you angel communication and spiritual law. So if anybody wants to come and see me, I'll be there on February 11th. And that's when my workshop is going on. So I'm really excited about that. 
I'm also relaunching Wake Up. The universe is speaking to you. You can get it at Barnes & Noble right now, but it's going to be back on Amazon pretty quick. If you need an angel reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com. Everybody say some prayers out there for your neighbors. And uh, we're going to get out of here today. Thanks again, Sue. Everybody have a fabulous day and God bless.